Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome. Welcome to the weekend edition of Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Oh, man. Christmas is just around the corner. Hope you're going to be with your family. You know what? Let me give you some things for you and your family to discuss and talk about as we review uh, last week's show and all the conversations we had that you'll never hear on ESPN or Fox Sports, and it's why you must listen to Fearless. We started the week off talking about Tom Brady and his collapse, and kind of who do you blame, Brady or Todd Bowles, uh, for the collapse of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Coach JB was on the show and made some really ridiculous statements. He called Lincoln Riley uh, a quarterback inheritor, not a whisperer. Anyway, take a listen to our Monday conversation. We're going to start today's show talking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who were destroyed by the San Francisco 49ers. Brock Purdy, 35 to seven? 35 to seven? Some third or fourth string quarterback just ran through the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 35 to seven. The Buccaneers a week ago escaped with a 14 points in the fourth quarter, last second touchdown. The Buccaneers are done. They're toast, they're no good. They're going to struggle, perhaps, even to make the playoffs. Neither side of the football is playing that great, which leads to the question, who's to blame, Tom Brady or Todd Bowles? That's the question we're going to pontificate about and ponder first, and we'll do that with Steve Kim and T.J. Moe. We know that T.J. Moe is a Tom Brady homer. They had coffee together in New England years ago, and TJ uh, loves Tom Brady. We're not going to get as fired up about this as Skip and Shannon, <laughs> but we are going uh, to discuss Tom Brady, Todd Bowles, who's to blame for the fall of the Buccaneers. Steve Kim, get us rolling. Wh- who's most to blame here? Well, I don't think it's just one person, but I-, I think both share the blame. Tom Brady. I don't care what the numbers say. I I just look at a guy who looks like he's eroding. And people keep talking about the numbers. Guys, everyone's quarterback numbers in the modern NFL is inflated. But that team, even though they're in first place, they're dead fish. They really are. And if they play Carolina Panthers right now, uh, the Panthers led by Wilkes, Coach Wilkes, they're doing a hell of a job. They're actually playing some really good football. But the Buccaneers look like they've packed it in. And you just look at that game yesterday. They looked absolutely lifeless. And a couple penalties. And look, we have to be fair. From the very beginning of training camp, that offensive line was decimated. And now they've had the injuries beyond that, which have really hurt Tom Brady's ability to be consistently comfortable inside that pocket. But that doesn't excuse the defense. They got absolutely shredded by a third-string quarterback Think about that. The third-string quarterback guy, guys, is the backup 
to the backup, and you got shredded, and they actually pared down the offense once it became 35-0. That actually felt worse. I'll say this. So on both guys, as it relates to Tom Brady, he looks like a guy that may have to start really thinking, rethinking his plans about playing till 50, just for his own health and the fact he's got personal life going on. But number two, I hate to be harsh about it, but the way this season has looked and how the Buccaneers have performed, I think Todd Bowles has really killed any future opportunities to ever be a head coaching candidate again in the National Football League. Mm. That's a strong statement that I want to get to, but I want to give TJ an opportunity. Just your initial thoughts. Who's more to blame? Buccaneers 6-7, and seven, Carolina Panthers 5-8 and eight on their heels. Carolina's won uh, their last two games. They're on a, I think they may be, maybe have won three of their last four. The Carolina Panthers, yeah, they've won three of their last four games. They're a team ascending and may end up winning uh, the NFC South. Your thoughts, who's more to blame for this very disappointing Buccaneer season, Tom Brady or Todd Bowles? Steve mentioned that they're in first place, that in this division is the tallest midget. They're six yeah. and seven. It's a horrible division. They might win and make the playoffs, and it'll be the worst thing uh, that's happened to them because they'll just get another week to get beat up. Todd Bowles is not a good coach. We, we've acknowledged this before. He, no, you have. Don't you, put we in there. You got a mouse in your pocket? What? <laughs> all of us have acknowledged every time. All of us. All, <laughs> every time that I bring up, hold on, Todd Bowles, uh, head coaching record. I don't have it in front of me right now, but I believe he has two separate seasons where he won four games when he was in New York. So he's not. he had one good year, and then outside of that, it has been pretty rough. And so... Um, there it is. Ten and six first year. Four and eleven. Five and eleven. Four and twelve. Not a good coach. He's a good defensive coach. And aside from uh, aside from their rushing defense this year, this defense is actually pretty good. He had a top ten defense when he was in New York with the Jets. He's done his job. He hoped, and what everybody banked on was, Tom Brady will handle the offense. I'll have a good defense, and we'll be pretty good. And Tom has not filled his side of the bargain. This, to me, if if we're divvying out blame. You would like a head coach that could oversee both the offense and defense. You didn't pick one. So the guy who's doing his job between these two is Todd Bowles. Tom Brady has been a disaster this year. I don't agree with Steve when, when he's talking about his physical abilities eroding. I think he came in fully unprepared for the first time in his career, and it's showing on the field. So it sounds like you're putting more blame on Brady than Bowles. All of the blame on Brady mm. instead of Bulls, because you knew what you were getting with Todd Bowles. He was a defensive coach who couldn't coach offense when he was in uh, New York, and he wasn't going to suddenly be able to coach offense here. You hoped that when Byron Leftwich decided to stay and pulled his name out of some of the head coaching searches, that they may have some continuity in the offense. But the idea was, I will be the head coach overseeing things. You guys do the offense. Tom likes having autonomy anyway. I'll do the defense. And he's actually done a pretty good job. Take yesterday out of your memory, because yesterday was not good. But outside of that, they've had a pretty good defense outside of the, the rushing defense. Yeah, I've been on record most of the year that the blame falls on Tom Brady. He skipped 11 days mm -hmm. of training camp. He, he got in this feud uh, with his soon-to-be ex-wife, uh, Giselle Bungeon, and, and he's not as into it, and his teammates could see that. And that's always been part of Tom Brady's strength dominance is that he's a tone setter he's a culture setter 
and he took that away from Todd Bowles and this coaching staff that, hey, look, the greatest player of all time, he's all in, and the greatest player of all time isn't all in with this Buccaneers team, and this team has looked lifeless from the very beginning because their quarterback and their tone setter and culture setter has abandoned the team. Uh, Jalen Hurts will thank Nick Saban down the line years from today. Right now, he's, he's bitter and he thinks, okay, I got yanked. Well, you were playing horribly, and the guy that you, we brought in won the national title for us. What do you expect and what do you want from us? That is what our job is as the coach. Your job as the player is to perform. You did not do so. So anyway, he enters the portal and transfers, and I can honestly say out of those quarterbacks that Lincoln Riley's coached, he is the one with the highest character. And I'm only saying that because he was at Alabama the longest inside of a structured environment where you couldn't allow, you, you couldn't be uh, the sour apple in the batch. And you can go to Oklahoma and you can be, you know, uh, the, the piece of turd that you are and you can show out and do all these things. I believe Jalen Hurts is the only kid with any type of character that, that, that Lincoln Riley has coached to date. And everyone else that he's coached has been absolutely uh, the word I use is shitbird, but I don't want to use that on your show. But I just did. Uh, they don't, are they don't. very bad uh, character <laughs> kids. You can see it from Baker to Kyler Murray, and now you got the Caleb Williams kid who puts "fu Utah" on his nails. Well, guess what, Jason? Somebody allowed that to happen, and that's called that person is Lincoln Riley, and he's allowed a lot more than he's coached. And I'm tired of hearing the quarterback guru, quarterback whisperer. Uh, you are the quarterback inheritor. You inherit great quarterbacks. You don't build them up and recruit them from scratch and coach them and turn them into Heisman Trophy winners. You inherit them. They're already developed. You actually, I can argue, you make them as you can make them worse. I can argue you make them into worse character kids than they were when they got there. So. Uh, you have been a very, very, uh, he has been a very, uh, been You've a blown my mind, JB. You've blown my mind. You give a lot of takes that, that, that shocked me. You've now blown my mind. I'm just the man you. took a midget and Kyler Murray and made him a Heisman Trophy winner. The, didn't he take Baker Mayfield, another midget, and made him the Heisman Trophy winner? How's that working Jalen out? Jalen Hurts. Fails. I, I get. We talking about what he did in college. Jalen Hurts. Fa- go, we're switching to Lincoln Riley now because he doesn't got ahead of me. <laughs> Jalen Hurts, you know, gets benched at Alabama, and then comes over and finishes second in the Heisman race. And now this Caleb Williams goes to USC and wins the Heisman. And you gonna take a dump on Lincoln Riley? How? Because we don't. Anyone can do that in college. These guys are doing it every year. What do the guys end up cool. being? What are their guys end up? What is what is Lincoln Riley won? Please, I'll wait. I'll wait till you tell me what he's won in college football. Three Heisman trophies. <laughs> and guess what? What's one and of those a big kids, contract. What's one of those kids that he recruit out of high school and mold into the Heisman winner? Or did they already come fully developed when he got them? I'll wait. Well, hold on a second, JB. I thought, where was Caleb Williams at? He was at Oklahoma. He was at Oklahoma. He recruited him at at Oklahoma, I think. Yeah. Um, But a second ago, you were just – say that again, JB. 
Behind Rattler, another S bird. Well, I, I got it. But a second ago, you were defending why Jalen Hurts sucked and that he needed to move on and go somewhere else, and that's why he was replaced. And then Lincoln Riley got him, and then he was really, I, really good. good in my mouth. When did I say he's supposed to leave? I never said he should have left. I said he came from no, no, I, I got my, my point was that he got replaced. Yes. Yeah, so you're saying he wasn't playing well and he wasn't very good. And then he told he finished second in the Heisman. There's a guy that he took, he inherited who wasn't playing very well, certainly wasn't an NFL starter at that point, and he moved all the way up into the second, uh, finished in second in the Heisman. He's done that with a few different guys. Whether you recruited him out of high school, if when they get to you, they turn into Heisman Trophy winners or runner-ups, you're doing something right, right? No, you're not. <laughs> I don't understand. You you played big boy football, man. You know better. Like these kids have w- would have won the Heisman somewhere else. Let me let me break down this misnomer that's out there. Everyone, I love when I hear Jalen Hurts would not have been an NFL player if he didn't go to Oklahoma. Can we please put an end to this BS? He played and started at Alabama. He was getting drafted. Please. Stop with the BS that if he didn't go to Oklahoma, he wouldn't be a quarterback in the NFL. Yes, he would. He was going to get drafted. Okay, go ask any NFL scout or college coach if he was going to be okay leaving Alabama and not going to Oklahoma. Let's stop with the narrative that he had to go to Oklahoma. No, he did not. He played at Alabama and started there. He won there. Like, come on, man. Let's miss, miss me with this BS that he had to go to Oklahoma and play for Lincoln Riley. No, he didn't. Because Lincoln Riley's track record when the quarterback leaves him is trash. Kyler Murray is trash. Baker Mayfield is trash. And Caleb Williams will be the second coming of Kyler Murray. Mark my words. So I'm just telling you, we have a guy who inherits quarterbacks that have already been developed and runs a system that is conducive for quarterbacks who are athletic, who can get the ball out quickly in an RPO system, run a little triple option, and have freaks of nature wideouts around him in college, similar to what Ohio State does with their quarterback. What Ohio State quarterbacks flourish in the NFL? You have to start equating these things to the next level to really give me somebody. I can call out Jeff Tedford and say he's a quarterback whisperer, He's had a lot of success leaving him going to the NFL. And there's been other guys, too. Lincoln Riley's not one of those guys. I'm sorry. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Tuesday, we went a deep dive on Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless and the dispute that played out on Undisputed, these guys sparked me into going into the history of the saying, sticks and stones will break my bones. Shannon Sharp needs to learn that and quit being triggered by Skip Bayless. Take a listen. Uh, The sticks and stones adage originated in 1862 on the pages of the Christian Recorder. 
the oldest African-American newspaper in the United States. It read originally, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never break me. A decade later, a Scottish writer, Miss George Couples, tweaked the phrase in a book replacing the second break with the word harm. I retell this bit of history to illustrate how far American culture has moved away from Christian values and the strength that accompanies those beliefs. Words now trigger and provoke. They justify a hyperbolic response. They power a culture that overemphasizes the perception of respect. The culture of perceived respect is most deeply rooted among black people. Black culture demands that black people not allow anyone of any race to disrespect them. A verbal slight prompts a face-saving, over-the-top rebuke at best and violence at worst. Verbal disrespect is a hill worth dying on in a secular society. It's not in a culture ruled by a biblical worldview. At the root of sticks and stones, that adage is a belief each individual is performing for an audience of one, God. Another man's words cannot harm me, especially if that man's words are inconsistent with the thoughts, words, and deeds of Jesus Christ. It is not a sign of weakness to ignore the misguided babble of your fellow man and woman. It's a sign of strength and faith in a higher power. 160 years ago, when black people dealt with virulent and pervasive discrimination and disrespect, we turned to God for validation and identity. Now that we are free, we constantly seek the approval of our fellow man, especially the white ones. This is what triggered Pro Football Hall of Famer Shannon Sharp yesterday when he exploded on live television during a passionate discussion with Skip Bayless. On their Fox Sports 1 debate show, Undisputed, Bayless accused Sharp of being jealous of Tampa Bay quarterback Tom Brady's lengthy career. Bayless at one point said that Brady, the most accomplished player in NFL history, is way better than Sharp, causing the former tight end to erupt in anger and start shouting, you make it seem like I was a bum. I'm in the effing Hall of Fame. I got three Super Bowls. Bayless retorted, so what? Next thing you know, Shan see, see what you did? You take personal shots. You would take a personal shot at me to say this man is better than me because I say he's playing bad this year? You would disrespect me to support him? My rendition, that play-by-play, -play, does not do justice to the wild and embarrassing emotion Sharp displayed. Twice, Sharp blurted out howls and screeches that could best be described as expressions of violent eroticism or maybe the, wa the wails of a wounded animal. Skip Bayless's words harmed Shannon Sharp. This would not be the case if Sharp leaned into a biblical worldview. Sharp would laugh off Bayless's verbal slights because he would realize that in a football debate, Bayless was acting out of insecurity. Bayless diminished Sharp to elevate himself. It's a well-worn debate tactic. 
I'm gonna take a second here and go a cut deeper, but I need to add some context before I do. I wanna enter into the record. I do not believe Skip Bayless is a bigot at all. I worked at Fox Sports 1 with Sharp and Bayless. Bayless is eccentric. He's not driven by a racial animus. He's a highly frustrated failed athlete who delights in thinking he knows more about sports than athletes and other journalists do. On the positive side, my impression of Bayless is he derives many of his core values from his religious faith. I mention that because the sticks and stones adage originated in a black Christian newspaper during slavery as a reaction to white bigotry. It was a tool for black believers to reject and ignore the belittling and condescending comments hurled at them. The adage is a reminder to all believers that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Our abandonment of religious faith has left us weak and overly sensitive. Someone, black or white, intentionally or unintentionally, says the wrong word to us and we think it's important to confront and rebuke that person. It's just not. How many young black men have, shot and kill, have been shot and killed by other black men over a perceived lack of respect? We're in a constant battle for external respect when our real conflict is our internal battle for obedience to God's will. Secular values produce weak men men who, in, who can be triggered and controlled by their emotions. Yesterday, to no real surprise, social media users championed Sharp's response to Bayless. Twitter remains the most secular place on earth. Former NFL MVP and CBS broadcaster Rich Gannon congratulated Sharp on showing restraint. Thousands of other users praised Sharp for not allowing Bayless to disrespect him. Skip Bayless tricked Shannon Sharp into disrespecting himself. Sharp looked unhinged and ready to fight a 70-year-old man. A man standing on God's truth cannot be so easily fooled. A man standing with God laughs at Skip Bayless's trolls, realizing Skip is jealous of Stephen A. Smith's success at ESPN. Wednesday. Oh man, did we have a show that you will not hear any place else. We got into some discussions about the New York Knicks Christmas party and the snowstorm that hit their Christmas party. Uh, all the Knicks players came and brought their best snow bunny with them. And it led to a discussion about do professional athletes prefer white women over black women? Uh, I saw this picture this morning of the Knicks uh, Christmas party gathering. The Knicks put this out on their Twitter feed, and it's a beautiful picture. There's nothing wrong with the picture. Uh, there are three, uh, I believe, black basketball players, Jalen Brunson, Julius Ramb Randall, Obi Toppin, Topin, and then there's some foreign guys. I can't pronounce their names. One of them is Isaiah Hartenstein. I can pronounce his name. I think that's the second guy uh, listed. Uh, but anyway, snowstorm hit the Knicks Christmas party last night. There's uh, one black lady in that picture, and she's with a white foreign uh, player. Obviously, you know, we could sit here and roll out pictures that you can find on Google Images of me. 
Anybody that knows me knows I got no problem with this. But, but, it is interesting and raises a question about what's going on with black men and black women. And I say that based off all the conversations we've been having on this show over the last couple of weeks, this whole Israelite issue is more I delve deeper into it. It's about a group of men wanting a religion that caters to men and caters to the patriarchy and rejects the matriarchy. And if you've listened to me talk on this show and listen to the discussion we have on this show, as black people, we have a very matriarchal culture. If you listen to me talk about the movies that keep Hollywood keeps dumping out, Wakanda Forever, The Woman King, all these movies, the, the TV show, The Equalizer, all these women, all these movies and uh, content that's coming out with a clear message of the woman is the leader, the woman is um, a warrior, Strong black women can save the world. Stacey Abrams, you go girl. And we, we saved America. And you know we gotta put black women in positions of leadership and power to save America. The black woman's gonna save America. A lot of men don't have the balls to say it out loud, but they're not on board with that. And so their actions let you know what they're on board with. And throw that next picture back up there again. Those actions are speaking really, really loudly. And when you start seeing people in, I watched a video of a straightway ministries. Those guys are Israelites. I watched a video of a wedding service that they put on where the man is the star of the wedding ceremony. The man enters the chapel last and is celebrated. There's an issue between the black man and the black woman, the patriarchy and the matriarchy. White guys are aware that men are being emasculated. Black guys are aware that men are being emasculated. Black men with their actions are, are starting to, in my view, reject black women because black women are uninterested in a role where they follow a man. I'm not saying that explains all of this, but it's out there and it needs to be discussed and we're gonna do it uh, with Shamika Michelle. And one last part before we bring Shamika in, I wanna play you because when I saw the uh, Barstool clip and I saw these two black women, Barstool is a sports humor site for white men. I'm not saying other people don't enjoy Barstool, but Barstool's employee base and fan base is white men. And I'm like, two black women are, are willing to risk harm to protect Dave Portnoy, who's not even around? Two black women. They're out there, Viola Davis being the woman king, and they're gonna beat up a six foot five white man to save the reputation of Dave Portnoy. I'm like, this is crazy. And then they went on social media and bragged about it. Can we play the clip of the uh, two women uh, br from Barstool bragging 
about how they took on a six foot five white man to save Dave Portnoy's honor. If you run down on Barstow HQ, you gotta deal with us. <laughs> right. And you don't wanna deal with us. We the original what? The real mean girls. The real mean girls. The original and the real mean girls. I'm just saying. Jordan, Alex, where were you? We needed you. Haven't seen you. Didn't see you. Shamika, what, what, what's going on here? Well, <laughs> am I right? Or, or, or is what's in the water, what's in the training, what's in the culture where black women want to be kings, not queens? There's so much to talk about, Jason, when it comes to this, because it does seem when you look over the Internet and when even in real life, you start to ask yourself, like, do black women need handlers like we're in a zoo? Or is it just that we don't have enough positivity pushed out there? Because, listen, I'm not saying that the men are right for walking away from black women, but I definitely understand. I see it so much and I get so frustrated with the way that we carry ourselves that you want to be seen as this tough king, as you've said. You, you don't mind being seen as a slut or a whore. We're the only people that are that will put us ourselves out there like I got this wop or I got that or my mouth can do this. You know, I'm a throat goat. We are the only group of women that are fine portraying our ourselves as sluts and whores and savages and think that it's okay. You know, um, it, it's so much that goes into this. Like I understand why men are tired of it because we do seem to be the only ones that think that that's the way to go. And we are not training our women any differently. We're not teaching young girls that what you're seeing is not acceptable behavior because we have so many older women who have a hard time with the fact that they are getting older, that they do the exact same things, setting terrible examples. You know, I'm seeing videos of so-called aunties twerking and being half naked it in, in, in videos. And this is the example that you're setting for young girls. So of course, they're going to grow up to want to be exactly what has been put in front of them. I say it all the time that one of the best uh, things my ex-husband ever said to me was, you're going to be the first example for these girls. I took that to heart and I realized that that made me have a certain responsibility that, of course, I'm not going to be perfect. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to do things that I wish I hadn't done. But it was just very important to me when they look at me to not see some of this foolishness that we see being pushed out in society and deemed appropriate or OK. We're doing a, We're not training these children up in the way that they should go, for sure. Let's roll out to Minneapolis, uh, bring in Royce White, former NBA player, player in the big three, MMA fighter. Royce is a black athlete. And so he's the perfect person to ask uh, about the, could we put that picture back up of the snowstorm that hit the New York Knicks uh, <laughs> Christmas party? It's a hell of a snowstorm. We, we had a little debate off air uh, how good of a snowstorm it was. 
I think it was a very good snowstorm. I think Royce thinks it was an average snowstorm. Uh, so let, let's let, let's start with that dispute. Royce, that, that looks like a, a, a mighty fine snowstorm that would, uh, you know, call school to be called off for a couple of days and you could stay at home and enjoy your video games and your family. Look like a good snowstorm to me, Royce. I, I don't know if it's a, a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know if these guys are are uh, are deeply moral or they're shallow, right? I mean, it's it's the New York Knicks for God's sakes, right? You, you, it's the it's the fashion capital. Um, you you would think that uh, they would the New York Knicks players would have the the top of the the heat, but hey, maybe they maybe they really love these girls for their personalities. <laughs> well, I guess when you're six foot nine, you got a different standard than the uh, six foot three hundred pound fifty five year old man. Maybe that maybe that's why Royce and I see the uh, slow snore a little different. I'm not I'm not six foot nine or three hundred pounds, and I tend to agree with agree with Royce. Well, and it's you should. You're mixed. <laughs> it's the New York Knicks. I mean, come on, you know, it's the New York Knicks. <laughs> It ain't the Pacers, is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> that was Indianapolis. So <laughs> that'd be like, oh, that's a good storm. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. You're right. Now there is some truth to that. I was like, if and you know what? I would have caught that exact same take. I was like, the Miami Heat? Are you kidding me? South Beach? And I, yeah, yeah. I, I get your point. But uh, <laughs> so, Royce, let's start with a more serious question. Mm-hmm. Do professional athletes and super successful men? Uh, do they prefer white women? Well, I think we got to start. We got to start with the facts, right? Um, this, the the institution of marriage has all but crumbled in our in our country, and it's on a slippery slope, and it, it's it's on its way to you know annihilation, complete annihilation, in my opinion. Uh, we have the lowest marriage rate in the United States since our government started keeping track of the marriage records in 1867, and we're right around eight. Uh, six marriages per a hundred uh, per thousand people. Um, after World War II, it was around. It was at its height, which was like sixteen marriages per one thousand people. Um, and and before that, it had stayed around eight or nine. So fewer people than ever are getting married. The divorce rate is up. It's high, fifty percent. Fifty percent of marriages are ended in divorce. Of those fifty percent, who do you think has the highest rate of divorce in, by race? Black women. Black women get divorced at a higher rate than any other race of women in America. Forty percent. They're over half. Uh, they're they're over double the percentage of white women. White women get divorced around 15 percent. Black women, it's all the way up to 40, 40 plus percent. Um, so you see a huge discrepancy there uh, in, in and of itself. But the real number to look at is how many people are actually married. How many people in our country are married now at in 1950, around 70 years ago, before the women's rights movement really kicked into high gear, 80% of households were had married individuals. We are now down to under 50%. Around 48% of people in America are married. Uh, so the entire institution of marriage is under attack. And I think because because our government has done such a poor job of 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 stewarding the institution of marriage and and even attacked the institution of marriage by fiat by law they feminized it they've made it they've made it uh they've they've rewarded divorce and taking kids breaking up homes they rewarded it economically because that's happened men are starting to make business decisions around marriage 
None more so than athletes who get a very high wage for their work and, and they want to protect their not only do they would they want to protect it from an individual basis, they are told to protect their assets. OK, for when it comes to their relationships. And I don't agree with that as a Christian. man. I think there should be a, a, a separation between the moral and the pursuit of marriage and the institution of marriage and, and how that's viewed spiritually in the eyes of God and, and the economic and political. Um, but I came through the uh, the, uh, you know, rookie transition program. We were told multiple times when I was drafted about watching out for women and women who will steal your money and women who will marry you just to divorce you and get some settlement. So we're conditioned in that way. And, hey, it is what it is. Black women are getting divorced two times, 2.5 times more than white women. Okay, Thursday show, not really for the hardcore sports fan. We ended up talking about Donald Trump and his major, major, major announcement that wasn't really major we mixed in a little elon musk anyway thursday show was good but not the hardcore sports fan show guys i want to if you haven't seen it i want to play you donald trump's major announcement uh i'm not sure this really stretches the the word major and i'm gonna have to go to the dictionary to find out what major means after watching this uh major announcement let's play the video hello everyone this is donald trump hopefully your favorite president of all time better than lincoln better than washington with an important announcement to make i'm doing my first official donald j trump nft collection right here and right now they're called trump digital trading cards these cards feature some of the really incredible artwork pertaining to my life and my career. It's been very exciting. You can collect your Trump digital cards, just like a baseball card or other collectibles. Here's one of the best parts. Each card comes with an automatic chance to win amazing prizes like dinner with me. I don't know if that's an amazing prize, but it's what we have. Or golf with you and a group of your friends at one of my beautiful golf courses, and they are beautiful. I'm also doing Zoom calls, a one-on-one -on -one meeting, autographing memorabilia, and so much more. We're doing a lot. My official Trump digital trading cards are $99, which doesn't sound like very much for what you're getting. Buy one and you will join a very exclusive community. It's my community, and I think it's something you're going to like, and you're going to like it a lot. They also make perfect gifts, so you can buy them with your credit card or crypto. All you need is an email address. Go to collecttrumpcards.com and buy your Trump digital trading cards right now before they are all gone, and they will be gone. This is my first official Trump trading card NFT collection, and you get a chance to meet me. Go to collecttrumpcards.com right now, and remember, Christmas is coming, and this makes a great Christmas gift. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. Gentlemen, when, when I first saw this, I, I, I thought it was a spoof. I thought it, someone was making fun of Donald Trump's major announcement, and I went and looked and looked and looked, and I was like, this is the major announcement. Uh, is, is, is this a sign? Uh, Royce, I'll start with you. Is this a sign Donald Trump is, is giving up? Has he retired? perhaps as a serious political figure? 
I think Donald Trump is 75 plus years old and his time is limited no matter whether or not he he um, wins in, in 2024. Uh, his, his time is limited and, you know, I'm I'm all good with it, right? I mean, great. Donald Trump card, sell whatever Donald Trump stuff he can. At the end of the day, when he's done, if he wins or if he doesn't win, um, he's still going to have to be able to use money as a as a vehicle to hopefully fund a true American first candidates and and be a part of the process. You know, we have to we have to start to build an alternative economy, and and the way that we do that is through through ventures like this. It might have sounded kind of corny or cheap. Well, it did sound corny and, and cheesy, but you know that that that's that's all. All good. Bryson, is 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 he waving a white flag? My thing was this. I don't have a problem with the cars per se, right? <clears throat> Capitalism. My issue is at a time when you would announce a run for 2024, when you say something is a major announcement, did you see the theories that people had? <clears throat> Speaker of the House. He's announced something huge. Oh, this is going to be big. For you to do that, for that announcement to be trading cards because you're trying to make some money during the Christmas season, it just seemed seemed below Trump. I thought it was a joke, too. This seemed below a presidential candidate. So I have no problem with the cards per se, but it's, it's, it's turned off a lot of people on Twitter. I ain't going to lie. I've been, I've been reading the comments. It's not a good look for his campaign. Royce, I... I, I, I it sounds like you're hedging your bet. Maybe you want more information, and I don't blame you. But I look at this and think he's been in this fight for a long time. No political figure has been attacked this relentlessly by such a large group of Republicans, Democrats, left-wing, never-Trumpers, the media, every. It's been a sustained attack. And so I could see it creating paranoia, mental fatigue, particularly for someone 75 years old. And so I, I almost see this as a clever way of diminishing himself and making it less likely that he could win a nomination in the Republican primary system over Ron DeSantis. And so, you know, there's all different kinds of ways to quit. And, and, and instead of announcing, hey, look, I'm done, there's a way to self-sabotage. And I say that because I used to, this is how I used to end relationships, because I, I didn't want to get married. I would self-sabotage them. <laughs> And, and do things with people like, well, that's gotta be, that's the dumbest thing in the world I've ever seen. You hit on her cousin? Really? <laughs> really, you tried to, and, and it was a, it wasn't even a conscious thing. It's just like a subconscious way of undermining so I could avoid a result that, that, that I, and so that's what I see here. I see a guy that's fatigued and is backing his way out of this and turning things over to Ron DeSantis rather than quitting. The times make the warrior, you know. Uh, individuals will either rise uh, to the occasion or or they'll fall and, and defeat. And and that's, uh, you know, that's the destiny for all of us in our individual journeys or in our public political uh, endeavors and ventures. Um, but, but let's get serious about one thing. He does have to raise money. 
he does have to raise money. And all of his donors, or not all of his donors, but a lot of his donors are fleeing for the center. Because in 2016, <clears throat> a, lot of, a lot of these donors saw the potential to ride a wave and hedge their bet on whether or not Donald Trump could get it done. And, and, and in light of the, the midterms or an entire centrist movement, you're seeing a lot of people who did back Trump in 2016 jump ship and go to DeSantis. And it's not on principle. It's not on righteousness. It's not on a divine inspiration. It's not on the protection of American citizenship. It's, it's, it's for lukewarm conservatism. And I got into this argument with Christian Walker, you know, on his Twitter space. It was the first time I'd ever been on one. But he was on there saying that, you know, now to be America first or, if you know, if you're a rhino, it just means that you don't pray to Mar-a-Lago. And it's like, no, no, being a rhino is still what it's always been. Republican in name only people that 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 try and preserve the corrupt status quo and, and whether take DeSantis and Donald Trump from out of it from a personal standpoint. Let's talk about the people who are backing them and what the implications of the people that are backing them tell us. They want a more moderate, lukewarm candidate. The entire fight inside the Republican establishment right now after 2022, the the uh, what, what do they call it? The um, uh, the 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 review of the 2022 election is that the candidates were too extreme. That's why we didn't have the red wave which is a complete lie. The Republican establishment sabotaged many of the extreme candidates for rhino moderate candidates. And so a lot of MAGA support at the grassroots level didn't show up to vote because they know who the who the rhinos are. They know who the Mitch McConnell's are. They know who the Kevin McCarthy's are. They know who Oz was. And, and, and yes, Donald Trump endorsed Oz. And, and that was an error, in my opinion. And, and I talked about why he did that already, because he was looking at wins versus losses. But the man has to raise money. And what we don't understand in the political movement or in America in general, it pisses me off. The banking cartel is squeezing out the middle market. Anybody who has a business and a bank loan and a covenant right now is having their banker come to them and say, if you don't make covenant, we're coming to take your business. We're coming to take your assets. That's the middle market. And who is the bigger, do biggest donor base for the Republican Party? And specifically the MAGA movement. It's the middle market, the nation of shopkeepers. So he understands this and the political people that are around him, the people who understand the economics, they know that we're going to go into a downturn here in the next 12 months economically, where many of the shopkeepers who, who were able to donate substantial amounts of money to Donald Trump won't be able to do it. He has to reinvent a grassroots small donation strategy. And if it's if it's Donald Trump cards, that's part of the uniqueness that he brings to the political landscape that a Ron DeSantis couldn't do. Nobody would buy a Ron DeSantis card. So, he, you know, he's unique in that way. Do it. If it works, do it. We're in a war. Bryson, you think people will buy this stuff? No. <clears throat> a few people, yeah, but... Looking at the reaction, there's a lot of people who are like, okay, I love Trump, but this is like, this is just, a lot of people just don't like it. It's just not an attractive thing. And I feel like he's, he's made, Trump has made a few moves since his announcement that just marketing-wise was terrible. And I, and I don't understand who's advising him to do these things. And even, I mean, don't get me wrong, you do have to raise money, that's true. But I think if you actually look at the cars, Trump, doesn't, he doesn't even own them. It's about another LLC. And they're just using Trump's likeness and image for the card. So, um... I don't I like. Is it really raising money for his campaign, or 
was he just the person that they paid for NFT or for an NFT digital card thing? Um, I mean, once again, I, I think Trump just brings bring the rallies back, uh, bring back Trump because so far it's not listed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Friday, we returned to sports. Steve Kim was back with us, and man, did we have some great sports takes. Uh, I believe we started talking about the Thursday night football game between the 49ers. We talked about um, Adam Silver wanting a female head coach in the NBA within the next five years, and Brittany Griner She's not being cheered loud enough in her heroic return to America, the country she hates. Uh, we got into all of that on Friday. To Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, uh, during the Korean Cosell 59 minutes. Uh, Adam Silver stated uh, yesterday, or I saw it in a front office sports article, uh, he wants a female NBA coach within five years. Is is this a good priority for the NBA to have a female head coach within five years? I, I don't think it's any time. Can we be very honest about this? And this is Fearless Friday, right? In the deepest yeah. recesses of these players' minds, none of them want to be coached by a woman. I, I think they tolerate the assistant coaches. I think in the football, they say, okay, um, then, you know, I guess we got to listen to them. But the reality is, at that level of sports, they want male leadership. Now, it may not be the leadership of, what, 30, 40 years ago, Bobby Knight and Bill Parcells and guys of that ilk. They don't want to listen to a woman. I mean, honestly. It, it, who, and that, you know what's funny? And then in 10 years of Adam Silver, still unfortunately the commissioner of the NBA, he's going to put a timeline on wanting a transgender coach, that it's about that time. And then in 15 years, it's going to be, go, okay, well, RuPaul is calling for a 20-second timeout. I'm sorry. This is another publicity stunt. I mean, you want to turn people off. But you know what the most used phrase would be from that poor NBA team, that poor squad, that would have to go through this social experiment? The thing that they would mutter under their breath after every practice or a loss or a game they didn't like, and again, I'm going to excuse my language, they're going to be like, bitch, please. That's going to be used a million times. You know it's true, Jason. Jay, be honest, Jay. You know, please, it's going to be used a lot. Be like, what you, no, nothing, nothing. you know that's true. No other, look, I'm not Herb Street. I'm Kim. This is where we go. This is what we do. You wanted the 59 minutes. I'm just packing it in. But you, no one in their right, none of these players, and they're all going to say the right things. Well, you know, we, we respect her as a coach, and, you know, she knows her basketball, and, you know, she's, she's a great person, and we're going to – no, they're not. No, they're not. And that team, to me, unless it's just overloaded with talent, is going to be a disaster. And as I was thinking about this, preparing for this segment, my greatest fear – as a Laker fan in hiatus is when that LeBron guy leaves. I'm going to go back to my Laker fandom. It's what I do. I I am just deathly afraid 
that Jeannie Buss is going to do the whole girl power thing so that she can become popular and all the media that already gives her the softest treatment, they're going to call her a pioneer. They're going to call her a visionary. And I'm going to be like, oh, my God. Be honest, Jason. If you were a big-time max player free agent and you had various offers and you knew, like, hey, I could choose a winner here, wouldn't one of the deciding factors be – I want to play for a guy, not a girl. Be honest. Come on. Steve, Steve, I'm going to take you a completely different direction. I think you've misread this. I don't think your finger is wet and in the air and figuring out which way the wind is blowing. I don't know how you have your Instagram feed rigged or whatever, but (laughs) I I disagree with you. I think there will be 30%, 40% of these players. They would love to be coached by a woman. I, I t- they've been so feminized. They've so bought into the matriarchal culture, pri- oh talking primarily about the black players, have, have bought into this matriarchal culture. They'd love to be coached by a woman. They'd feel like they could more relatable, easier to uh, manipulate, work with, whatever. And then, and Steve, you, you got you to gotta have your Instagram feed triggered the right way to get the stuff Go look at these on Instagram. It it doesn't take a lot of hunting, but there's a lot of female basketball coaches that have leaned into the fashion show element of their wardrobe while coaching during the side. Everybody's got their boots on. Everybody's got their tightest stuff on, and they're taking pictures of themselves, coaching, and then posting them on their Instagram, and they look like Instagram models. And so if you think some of these players, I'm just keeping as as sexually immoral as this society has has come and how there's just no rules and regulations to anything. There's no protocol. There's no standard of conduct. These players would love to be coached by some woman they find attractive who's down for the play. And and I'm just sorry. There's go look at the big three and how they rallied around, is it Nancy Lieberman or whatever is one of their coaches, they rallied around her and how, and again, I'm not saying there's a lot of coaching going on in the big three, but no one has a problem with it. There's old fuddy-duddies like myself and you, but these athletes, they believe in the matriarchy. Their mother tells them what to do. Their sister tells them what to do. They don't have problems taking marching orders from women and actually like it because they have so much animus towards their tattered relationship with their father or non-existent relationship with their father. Uh, You know, I I could see it happening. I I could see, uh, you know, go go look at uh, Don Staley and and how she's putting on $7,000 jackets leather jacket she's coaching in and it's all a fashion show look at the nba players and how they come dressed to work to walk down the runway this whole thing has been feminized to the point that a female coach love it i still disagree when it comes to athletics and it comes to a men's league these guys want male leadership or traditional coaching i have a hard time believing that, uh, let's say a big man, plays a little bit soft, doesn't grab a rebound or doesn't finish hard, 
and, and you're going to have some like five foot four lesbian girl. Steve, they hey, don't want to be coached. They well, don't okay. want to be coached. You know Are what? you watching the NBA? They're not really no, coaching. Not. They're jacking well, up threes. I agree, but okay. It, but it, it, they they don't want to be coached. The coaching doesn't matter. A lot of these it, guys. It really does. These guys aren't practicing. They're not. They stay in physical shape. They're in good cardiovascular shape, but they're not running any real offenses out there. No, no one's working. None of the big men are working on low post moves or anything like that. Everybody's working on jacking up a three and iso ball. It doesn't require. It's no different than what I've said they've done to the NFL quarterback position. You don't call plays anymore as the quarterback. They tell you exactly what to do inside your helmet. The, the, the whole thing's been eased and dumbed down. That's why, that's why JB comes on this show every week, and that's why John Gruden in public conversations and private conversations talking about, man, this isn't even the playbooks and everything has been shrunk to a point. This is high school football that they're passing off as NFL football. I Look, at the end of the day, they may think they want it until they get – shoot out or screamed at and they're going to be given the side eye that's my view of it and they're like i'm just telling you no man wants to be coached by a woman at that level of sports it's the truth it truly is and no one wants to say it and i'm going to get blasted here i don't give a damn because I, I i'm just telling you if you actually but look could you imagine you're, you know you are right about that the game is a little bit less masculine could you imagine asking a woman, hey, uh, yeah, here's your team, Charles Oakley, Anthony Mason, and uh, Larry Johnson. <laughs> Good job, girl. Go get them. Uh, I'm sorry. This is not a movie. What was that movie where uh, Whoopi Goldberg coached the Knicks? Steve. Okay. Uh, yeah, whatever that movie was. It, it, this, this is real life. It wouldn't work. Steve, 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 and I say this in all seriousness. These players and these female coaches – in our lifetime, on their road trips, they'll be going to nail salons and beauty shops together as a team <sighs> to go get their nails done and their hair did. You, you, you think these guys getting their hair colored and braided and twisted? I was looking at DK Metcalf uh, last <laughs> night with his green hair. Whatever. He would love to have some female coach go to the beauty salon with him and get his hair colored. These guys have got their hair all twisted up in Barney, what is Betty Rubble or Wilma uh, Flintstone's hairstyles and all that other stuff. They'd love to do that together with their head coaches. We, hey, we can, let, let's go to the beauty shop together. We can go over the game plan. They'd love it. I don't get it, but going back to uh, David Silver. Uh, Adam. Yeah, Adam. David's turn has to be rolling over in his grave. My God. <laughs> Out of all the guys to get to replace maybe the greatest commissioner of any sport alongside Pete Rozelle, we get this guy. Uh, and I don't get this whole thing of why we need representation in certain things. You know what? Maybe it's a long time overdue for more female construction workers or coal miners or dig ditchers. Well, you know, that's what Thomas Sowell always says. Well, wait a minute. If you want representation, you know that tough job where you have coal and explosions happening right in your face? Hey, you know what? Let's 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 get some gender equity there. I I again I will disagree with you. It may seem like a great deal, it may seem easier, it may seem like a softer touch. I just don't see it realistically working. 
Let's move on, uh, Cosell. MSNBC columnist uh, Dave Zirin, who works for The Nation oh. most of the time, he's written a guest column. You know, and Dave is to the left of Karl Marx. Uh, he's written an MSNBC <laughs> column complaining that NBA fans <clears throat> aren't cheering loud enough for <clears throat> Brittany Griner. He's very offended, and he, in his column, he talks about how the, you know Utah Jazz or fans are known for their brutal treatment of black athletes, and when they announced, mm. they put Brittany Griner up on the big screen, I guess, at a Jazz uh, game, and we want to welcome her home, and allegedly there were a smattering of boos, and Dave was, I think, talking about, uh, he was at maybe a Wizards game where, you know, they reintroduced John Wall, and there were loud cheers, uh, but their cheers weren't as loud for Brittany Griner, and he's upset about it, and I'm like, hey, man, you do know she took a dump all over America and said this country uh, is racist and oppressive and she's ashamed of the national anthem. It's not all that surprising that traditional American sports fans aren't, you know, <clears throat> just overjoyed that we traded the merchant of death for some woman who doesn't even appreciate America. But Dave's very upset, and it's a sign of just how racist and unfair America is that we're not cheering lustily for uh, Brittany Griner. Okay, it, my response to Dave Zirin would be very simple. This is my trademark line. Yeah, and th this is the issue that I have with columnists like him. And, and Dave Zirin, every time he pops into my Twitter feed once in a while, he does give me a good chuckle. I mean, it's ha-ha, but not in a funny way. The issue is, Dave, if you care about Britney, that's fine. That is absolutely your prerogative. But your overwrought whining and complaining about how everyone should agree with you and be in lockstep with your thoughts, that's where I think we've lost it. Like every time I write something, no matter if it's controversial, incendiary, uh, out there, whether it's the hottest take of all time, I actually don't expect anyone to agree with me. Now, everyone should if they have a modicum of intelligence, but I understand the world that we live in. And it just comes off as you have to agree with me or I'm just going to cry. And that's all that he does nowadays. Dave Zero and I used to enjoy. I believe that he had a, a regular column or still does called Louder Than a Bomb for Slam Magazine, which I subscribed to for years. And there was a time I actually enjoyed his writing. But now he has gone into this uh, industrial complex of white guilt. And, you know, everything is the white guy. He's the cool guy. He'll be invited to the barbecue. He gets it. He understands it. Um, but I, I would ask him, how many WNBA games did you cover? Uh, in fact, before all of this, I, I would like to ask how many cover stories on Brittany Griner did he pen? And, and by the way, um, who was that? Yeah, Andy Warhol. He called me. Yeah, yeah, special line, Andy Warhol. He just called me, and I said, what's going on? Yeah, Brittany's 15 minutes? Yeah, Steve, it's over. And what did we say? Now, last week we talked about it a little bit, right? It's almost like it didn't exist because we really don't care. But that's, that's my biggest gripe with Dave is not even his own opinion. He has the right to think America is this vile, evil, racist country, even though – uh, every day, streams of people, all sorts of people from all across the world are fighting to get into America, which I've always found interesting. But to, to actually emotionally extort 
everybody else to feel sorry for someone who seemed to be a perennial malcontent, that's where, again, he completely loses me. Dave Zyron, I'm just going to keep it 1,000%. You said it's Fearless Friday. Dave Zyron's not a white guy. He's a Jewish guy. He's a Jewish guy who thinks it's his job to police the thoughts and all the activity around black people. That's his job. That's what he does. And so he's trying to, he, he's, he doesn't actually like white people. And he, he, he wants to d- demonize America and use black people to demonize America. And he's using Brittany Griner and he's used his relationship with some, uh, you know, Eton Thomas who, you know, I don't think ever scored more than five points a game in an NBA game or certainly didn't average average that. And, and so he and Eton are the Batman and Robin of vilifying white supremacy. And, and if he can find a Brittany Griner or anybody to use to further his narrative that America is terrible and, and uh, th- that's what he's going to you know, do. You know what's interesting? Uh, the guy's it, a joke. He, yeah, he, he this, tried to forget. Let me just be completely yeah. transparent. You know, for years, he's been one of my biggest critics and stalkers and running around trying to tell me what I should think. And I've never liked or respected him uh, because he, he can't control what I think, write, say. He's, he, you're not, I get you're the overseer for Eton Thomas and some of these other black dudes that ain't got no balls and don't have a brain for themselves. But they uh, miss me with that, and I'm not going to feel bad because I'm not overjoyed that Brittany Griner is home. She don't care nothing about America. I didn't care about her when she was over here playing basketball. I'm not going to, you know, run around yeah. and fake and pretend like I'm overjoyed that we gave up the merchant of death for some woman who didn't even appreciate being an American. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm yeah. honest about this. <laughs> if a WNBA game was taking place in my backyard, I'd close the drapes. And if that game involved Brittany Griner, I would just leave the house and go to lunch. <laughs> like, it, everyone feels this way, but they won't say it. It reminded me of one of your other old nemesis, old Katie Kate Nolan. She went on this rant one time, and, it's, and I saw a video and where she talked about how the WNBA does deserve equity with the NBA. She made this big spiel. And then someone actually went to her social media. I think it was her Instagram account. And she's had a lot of games. Red Sox, Patriots, any male league she was at. You know what they didn't have one picture of? Her at any other WNBA event. That That is the hypocrisy. It, it is, is, is a classic case of do what we tell you, but not what we do. All right, go to YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. If you're on Apple or Spotify, hit the likes, hit the subscribes, hit that five-star review. Have a happy, merry holiday season christmas season give your wife kids family everybody mom grandma everybody a big hug and a kiss we'll be back january 3rd i believe we're gonna take the holiday break go over eat go over drink go celebrate with family you do the same love you talk to you on the other side